0: Welcome to the global workplace diversity, equality, opportunity. Your host is Alma Besserdin, the founder and director of Wimmigrants of Australia. In our program, we will showcase the global organizations who are making a difference worldwide for skilled migrants, as well as focus on some challenges the migrants face with diversity and inclusion. Now, here is your host, Alma Besserdin. Hello, Voice America listeners.
1: Um, I am Alma Bassadin, I am really excited today with another fantastic topic, something that is very close to my heart, which is women and leadership. I have to apologize for my voice today, I am in Melbourne and it's uh, really windy, it's about 29 degrees and sorry for those of you who are in a uh, winter season, but there is a bit of hay fever uh, in Melbourne the last couple of days, so I might sound like I am a little bit under the water and that's the reason why. Um, I'm really excited today to have one of very credible guests, um, Janine Ames. Welcome, Janine, to the Global Workplace. Thank you very much. And um, Janine is in New York, so I believe it's about 7 p.m., Janine, isn't it? So... It is, and winter, definitely. And winter. Oh, I'm sorry to rub into everyone's face about the good 29 degrees, but you had your summer, so it's our turn.
2: (laughs) It's true. It is true.
1: Uh, Let me introduce Janine's uh, very, very impressive background. Um, Janine is an accomplished leader with nearly 30 years of experience in management consulting general management, executive recruitment and leadership advisory services. She currently leads the business and professional services practice at Spencer Stewart, a global leader in executive search and the advisor of choice to top companies seeking counsel on Syrian leadership needs. She focuses on recruiting C-level executives and board directors for business services companies. Janine is particularly passionate about helping companies attract more women to senior level roles, as well as counseling women on their career trajectories. She's a regular speaker for Women's Group on Career Management and recently co-authored an article, Solving the Disappearing Women Problem which uh, highlights the continuing challenge, challenges companies face in increasing the number of women in leadership roles and what some diversity-focused companies are doing to address them. Prior to joining Spencer Stewart, Janine led recruiting and professional development for McKinsey and Company, Company's business technology practice, and she also established the robust partner recruiting capability at the time. When Mackenzie is typically only promoted internal candidates for partner level roles, Janine spent her early career as a management consultant at Mackenzie and Co. and Bain and Co., where she advised clients and industries ranging from pharmaceutical to oil and gas on strategy and business performance. (laughs) based in Boston, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and then New York. She also spends a substantial time working with her clients overseas, operations, particularly in Southeast Asia. And Janine is also a graduate, um, an MBA graduate from Harvard Business School. Really, really impressive background, Janine, and uh, welcome again to the Global Workplace.
2: Well, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Uh, uh, it's it's a, such a pleasure. Um you just came back recently from Paris because you you just uh, travel all around the world. So um, what I understand last week you went to UK and had a dinner in Paris. What a lifestyle!
2: <laughs> well, if you're going to eat in some city in the world, Paris is a good choice. <laughs> in
1: general, <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that. Um, Jenny, I came across. Um, your your article solving the disappearing women problem and we connected and start talking about because it's very apparent that both of us uh, share a passion to help women in professional roles to become leaders um, and increase their uh, career opportunities and um, most of the episode today will be around that so I'm really really excited to to talk about that and uh, Despite many diversity programs that organizations implement, study after study finds greater numbers of women disappearing at each successive level of most organizations, which was, I I understand, the reason why you co-authored this particular article. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
2: Exactly. I mean, certainly a lot has been written on this topic over the years, um, and there's been a sort of a constant level of attention to the topic of diversity and leadership, but progress has r- still been very mixed, and so we thought it was worth highlighting the issues again and sharing uh, some of the best practices we're seeing among women and in companies um, to try to move the needle on women in leadership. So, we um, we still see... Um, Uh, A study that was done by Grant Thornton, for instance, Uh, they surveyed 5,500 businesses and they've done the same survey for 13 years. Um, This is across 36 countries and they found that still women hold only 25% of the senior business roles today. So that's a low number, which is pretty shocking, Mm. but the more shocking statistic is that over the 13 years of the study, that percentage has only moved by six percentage points. So we're really not uh, moving the needle as rapidly as we would like to on this topic. Mm.
1: Yes, I I have your article in front of me and, and it says, for every 100 women promoted to manage 130 men are promoted.
2: Exactly. Which is exactly. which is
1: which is amazing. And and why do you think is that?
2: Yeah, I think um uh, there's a number of, of factors at play. Um, I think there's been a lot that's been written about um, women dropping out and therefore, you know, not kind of making it to the next level. Um, but I think there's also, you know, a significant amount of unconscious bias in promotion processes today. Um, there's challenges with, uh, you know, living a full life and fulfilling the responsibilities of motherhood and, um, you know, climbing up the corporate ladder. Um, and I think there's still a lot of work to be done around female mentorship and helping mm. women get connected to the people that can support them and really help them grow and climb up the ladder.
1: Yeah, that's interesting because I remember when I was in my corporate roles, um with the networking events, you get so many of those, and uh, it it was very difficult to to juggle my own lifestyle and having a family at home versus traveling and all of that. And sometimes you can do this, sometimes you can't because also the the companies don't perhaps provide enough flexibility to do that. So uh, you you think that that might be the reason also why lots of women are dropping off from these positions because there is no enough support in the organization to actually have that flexibility when it comes to the uh, work and life balance?
2: Yeah, I think the... um in the research we've done, the, the flexibility programs that you see the companies have, they definitely help retain women. And I think a lot of women seek out environments where they can have the kind of flexibility that they need and that, you know, if they need maternity leaves, for instance, or flexible work schedules, they can have them. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, those companies are able to get women into leadership, that's... It's a much more complicated problem, <laughs> and yes. um, just because companies are able to retain women through these programs, they're not necessarily getting women into the you know the leadership ranks. Mm,
1: that's interesting. Um, the the latest research from uh, HBR showed that if there is only one woman in candidate pool there is statistically no chance she'll be hired, which was really fascinating when I came across, and I believe in your article you also mentioned that some How organization can change this? I mean, you've talked about the unconscious bias. Do you think this is conscious or unconscious bias in in, in this particular instance?
2: Yeah, I think it's largely unconscious bias that we see. I mean, that research in particular, um, the, the reason given for... It being difficult to get that one woman hired <laughs> is that mm. that that singular choice because she was so different than the other candidates. You know, seemed to be riskier than the other candidates who were more similar. Um, so there are definitely some cultural factors that come into play um, that are incredibly complicated and hard to change. Um, We always propose to our clients who are trying to, you know, hire more female candidates. You need to get more female candidates into the mix. <laughs> because mm. even having two females versus one exponentially increases the chances that you'll get yes. a female hired. Um, mm. So doing things like using gender neut- neutral language when you do job descriptions and go out seeking candidates for a job, including women and mixed teams on the search team so that you have a mixed group of Decision makers, rather than just all one gender, um, taking casting a wider net and taking a talent led approach, uh, rather than sticking to a very narrow spec with very specific mm. sets of of accomplishments and requirements. All of these. Open up the aperture so that you get uh, uh, you have a better chance of having more than one female candidate, which you know results in in better chances of having a woman be hired.
1: That, that's really interesting point. And uh, a lot of companies I've read, and including a, a few here in Australia or, or uh, more in Australia now, getting where they actually don't include names. They're trying. Um, basically have the position descriptions, uh, where is the gender neutral, but also when a HR is sourcing the candidates, then actually don't put the names
2: on the, at all. So, what's your thought on that? Yeah, I have heard of this, and I've seen, um, I've seen some recent research that said um, that those techniques do help get more women into sort of the front of the pipe, (laughs) but at mm. some point, you know, the gender is revealed because you will ultimately yes. have to meet someone at the company in order to get hired. And yes. at least one article I saw said that it, it really wasn't helping at the end because mm. even though you have mm. more women in the mix, you do, you know, it doesn't necessarily guarantee that the, the woman is going to get hired. Um,
1: right. Yes, that's interesting. We'll yeah. continue that. We'll take a, a very short break, Janine, Um, And uh, when we come back, we'll continue on this topic. So uh, stay with us, uh, our listeners, and we'll come back very shortly. Terrific.
3: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
0: Wimmigrants of Australia is a unique organization helping skilled immigrants, in particular women, to establish careers and integrate in a new country. For individuals, we offer coaching and mentoring programs. For organizations, we help create diverse and engaging culture, offer talent placement career transitions, diversity strategy, and inclusive leadership development. We are also available for speaking and consulting engagements. Visit wimmigrants.com.au for more information. That's wimmigrants.com.au.
2: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
3: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. VoiceAmerica Business Network. You are listening
0: to Global Workplace with Alma Besserton. To reach the show, please call into our toll-free lines in North America, 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to elma at wimmigrants.com.au. Now, back to The Global Workplace.
1: Uh, thank you so much for tuning back into the global workplace. Uh, my guest Janine Ames and myself were talking about just before the break about the fact is that um, the latest research from HBR showed that if there is only one woman in a candidate pool, there is statistically no change she'll be hired. And in a break, uh, Janine and I were talking about the fact is that uh, that's not going to work uh, if there is no actually mix in the recruitment panel, Janine, isn't it? So if there are all men in a in a recruitment panel, doesn't matter how many women we have, st- that's still my no, yes.
2: Yeah, I think the best recruitment panel has a sort of equal composition of women and mm-hmm. men so that there's neither kind of gender culture predominates, um, mm. and, you know, that sort of diversity of opinion ends up making the best decisions, mm. you know, in any case, <laughs> and it also yes. just makes it a more even playing field for the female candidates.
1: Yes, absolutely. So it's it really has to work both ways, not just having a, a women in candidate pool, but it has to work the other way around. Um, Janine, there is a there is a perception, and often women admit themselves, and I know that because when I coach, in particular, diverse uh, uh, diverse women who come to Australia, they they often lack confidence and they don't position themselves successfully as men. And I've certainly seen that through my own career in Australia. What can women learn from the approach men take in positioning themselves for promotions and new jobs? Because even um, when I was managing and, and recruiting people, uh, men would much easier opt to take a roles even if they don't have eighty um, percent of the skills, whereas women will focus on twenty percent that um, they they do have, but eighty percent that they don't have. So how how do they? How they can overcome that situation.
2: Exactly. I think that is a tendency um, that women have. Um, They, you know, the other thing we notice is they just don't, if they're in a good environment um, and you try to entice them (laughs) uh, into a new role, um, they tend to not want to move if they're happy where they are. Whereas men... Mm -hmm. Tend to, and I'm generalizing based on our anecdotal experience, but men will tend to consider something if it looks like a step up. And I think this is a different, slightly different mindset that women and men seem to have. So men are thinking in terms of what's going to get me ahead. You know, success to me looks like getting ahead. Where more Mm -hmm. often, if you ask women what success looks like, they use words like doing a good job as their definition. So, if your mindset is getting ahead, you're going to do things like make sure you expand your network, spend time on networking activities, um, even ask people. Uh, outright to help you, um, make sure that you, as you said, you put your hand up even if you only have 80% of the qualifications for a new role. Um, and I think women just need to adopt some of those behaviors. You know, spend mm-hmm. more time out in the marketplace where new opportunities live um, be don't be shy about asking people to help them. Um, promote your own accomplishments, and also, um, you know, take the step to promote the accomplishments of other women as well. So develop a support network that works in multiple directions um, and frankly, just be more willing to take a chance and entertain mm. things, um, even if you don't feel like you're quite ready or it seems risky.
1: And and I remember when you and I connected um, before this interview and talked about this topic, I remember you were sharing a very interesting Um, information about your observation um, where where there is a particular role and uh, your organization will call men, every single one, and and I'm generalizing now, or most of the time, they will return the call or they will be interested to hear what the opportunities are, whereas
2: women will not even return the call. Exactly. Exactly. We do find that. And it it makes it very challenging, especially when we're seeking out diverse candidates for these roles. And I think it may have something to do with, You know, there's a lot of uh, factors about a woman's work environment um, that need to align in order for her to feel like she's, you know, in a good place where she can rise and be valued. And if she has that in the role that she's in, she's very reluctant to take the risk to step into Mm -hmm. another environment where there may be bias. There may be a culture that is uh, not Not as um, positive uh, for her. Mm. And I think women, you know, have felt these factors throughout their careers. And therefore, they know that there's some risk. And so they tend to hold back, whereas men have never really felt that that impacted them necessarily. And so they're much more willing to take a chance.
1: And, and I guess one of the piece of advice we can give to other women who are interested to progress their careers is that um, they can simply uh, have a conversation. That doesn't mean that they have to necessarily jump, uh, you know, and, and leave their jobs. But just to open up more and start building relationships, because certainly when, when you actually mentioned that last time when we talked about, I reflected on my career in Australia and why perhaps I was successful in my corporate roles is because um, I wasn't actually one of these women who did not want to, uh, uh, you know, elaborate on other opportunities. Um, I would always build the relationships with the recruiters. And even if I wasn't interested in moving, I will say, tell me more, tell me more. I would like to know what's going on on the market, what the opportunities are, and even often I would recommend my colleagues, other women um, or other men uh, for that reason to, to pursue these roles. So I've actually never said no to discuss the opportunity even if I wasn't actually uh, keen to move. And yes. and I think when, when you said that, I reflected on that, and I think... Um, and i think that's a very good advice um that that you talk about in your article as well is yes, to I,
2: don't close the door definitely i mean i always counsel women there's there's a lot of you'll have a lot of chances to say no so <laughs> You don't That's have to say no in the first point. conversation. Have the first yes. conversation. You know, you can say no after the interview. You can say no after the offer. There are many opportunities to say no um, that, that frankly, men take advantage of liberally. <laughs> mm. They don't have yes. a problem saying no when they're way down the path. Um, and women should really, you know, adopt some of that um way of operating because then you never know some of those opportunities mm. they'd get way down the path and discover they really are very interested
1: and i will encourage uh, our listeners to really access your uh, your article uh called solving the disappearing women problem which is a very good article and there is uh, also, uh, seven ways, uh, at least, I mean, there are many, many ways, but you summarize on a sem- seven ways to raise your profile as a woman. And I really love what you've written in this article about expanding the network and, um, uh, you know, don't overlook informal support mechanisms and, um, you know, uh, seeking a mentorship and, and networking because I don't believe that we as women are very good in networking and promoting each other work. Um and and we you know we can negotiate for others we we are very good at negotiating on behalf of the company but when it comes to us I don't think we actually position
2: ourselves very well. <laughs> yes, that I've t- definitely <laughs> I've definitely noticed that as well. Um, th-
1: through my professional career, Janine, I observed that men help each other in getting uh, a better leadership roles and, and jobs in general. And, and certainly in, a, in a leadership roles where I used to work, um, at least uh, a 10% or even more of the uh, senior leadership members were people that managing directors or CEO uh, brought with him yeah. uh, from the previous workplace. And uh, but women don't tend to do that as often, and um, and uh, you know I don't think they are helping each other as much. What are your thoughts on that?
2: You know, I've noticed that also um, in my personal experience and and in our leadership advisory work, we see this um, sort of men help other people as a matter of course. um, And when they do, uh, no one questions it. It's really assumed to be because those people are worth helping and Mm -hmm. uh, sort of no one, you know examines that too closely mm-hmm. but when women help other women um or and to the same you know in the same vein as minorities help other minorities um it can yes. be viewed as some kind of you know gender nepotism <laughs> So people assume that the woman is helping the other woman because of some tribal sisterhood notion that is Mm. not necessarily there. And I think, Mm. you know, many women shy away from helping other women because of that, because they know that and they don't want their own credibility to be jeopardized. Um, I see this changing slowly as women are Mm. getting more and more comfortable. I just saw an article today that said that the likely female mentors are in the C suite so the women right. who have already made it are much more willing to mentor other women because they've mm. sort of they're already there um, but I guess the theme is that mentorship is important. You don't necessarily need to be mentored by another woman. You know, you mm. should seek out mentors, women, men, whoever you happen to align with um, and click with um, mm. and really cultivate those kinds of relationships actively because they are just absolutely critical, to your point, about moving up in an organization.
1: Mm-hmm and and here in Australia certainly there is uh, a big strong movement from the uh, 100 CEOs. The majority of them uh, as the CEOs are men, but there are also CEOs as um, as women and there is a initiative where they say they're not going to accept any speaking engagements unless there is a 50 percent of them are women. Mm-hmm. and uh, and I, I believe that um, th- this will change. Uh, this perception will change if we do have a support from men and not criticism if we employ other women if there are uh, if there are capable it's it's about who is the best for the job whether there are women or men it's really irrelevant in my mind so uh, I, I think uh, if if there is a, a number of women around the table then men needs to also support it and I remember you were telling me that uh, is it a CEO of IBM, is a woman, and uh, there are a few uh, female leaders now in, in IBM leadership team?
2: Yes, yes, definitely true. Uh, General Motors is another organization that has uh, um, lots of uh, women in leadership now. Um, and so these things are changing, I think, um you know these women have have kind of shamelessly promoted people according <laughs> to their merits and not worried about yes. you know which gender they are um, and yes. have been willing to sponsor women's programs um, in their organizations mm. openly so that's
1: fantastic. we're going to take a, a short break now, and when we come back, we'll continue on this amazing topic. Stay with us. we'll be right back.
3: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
0: Immigrants of Australia is a unique organization helping skilled immigrants, in particular women, to establish careers and integrate in a new country. For individuals, we offer coaching and mentoring programs. For organizations, we help create diverse and engaging culture. Offer talent placement, career transitions diversity strategy and inclusive leadership development. We are also available for speaking and consulting engagements. Visit wimmigrants.com.au for more information. That's wimmigrants.com.au.
4: CIO Talk Network with Sunjoke all at ciotalknetwork.com
5: Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy.
3: the bottom line in business.
0: You are listening to Global Workplace with Alma Besserton. To reach the show, please call into our toll-free lines in North America, 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to elma at au. Now, back to The Global Workplace.
1: Welcome back, everyone. Uh, Today, we're talking about the episode Solving the Disappearing Women Problem. I'm talking to Janine Ames, who is equally passionate and excited about improving Uh, women in the leadership positions and I'm really really excited and this topic is uh, uh, such a complex topic and something that uh, probably one hour is not enough. We could talk here for hours and hours Janine do we? Definitely. (laughs) uh, Especially when you have two passionate people about making the change and difference uh, for for women out there. Um, Janine the Australian Diversity Council here in Australia obviously has released a very interesting study Uh, that shows that the gender equality initiatives typically benefit women from Anglo-Celtic cultural backgrounds. Cultural diversity initiatives typically benefit culturally diverse men and that culturally diverse women experience double jeopardy. And uh, a similar study has been conducted by the HBR that women and minorities are penalized for promoting diversity and that was the back to your point that if I, if I am in a position as, um, as a woman with a diverse background and I employ another woman with a diverse background or minority, it will be seen as I'm promoting uh, those kind of um, uh, people with those sorts of backgrounds. So, w- what do you think companies can actually do to change this
2: perception? Yeah, well, for one thing, I think, um, it's easy to make the mistake that if you have sort of a gender initiative, that you will also benefit, um, Culturally diverse women as well, and I think that's been proven to be just not the case. <laughs> if mm-hmm. if uh, if you want to move, you know, move the results for a particular group, you actually have to focus on the specific group. So if you're trying to. Yes. Um, increase the number of ethnically diverse women. You have to focus on ethnically diverse women, not just ethnically diverse and not just women. Um, mm-hmm. This is sort of the way diversity initiatives work. Um, but I think on the... Uh, you know, being penalized for promoting diversity and, and that point, I mean, we've seen time and time again the most successful diversity programs with companies start from the very top and they include all, everyone. So it's mm-hmm. not just, you know, a, a person is put in charge of diversity and they try to manage all the diversity initiatives for the company. It's really the CEO saying, we are yes. going to have Have a diverse workforce, and we're going to have um, diverse leadership. And in these specific categories, um, they set targets. uh, They um, promote the theme throughout the organization, and it becomes everyone's job. Everyone's job, you know, to 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 make the change happen within the organization.
1: I, I think you are absolutely right because I've observed also, and, and given I also have HR background, um, I've observed in a lot of organizations diversity managers. It, it's almost like a, it's been outsourced to them to manage all of this and everyone else step away, think that things will happen because they have a diversity manager. and exactly. um, and, and, and really very often what they do is they, they also focus on a policy and the strategy, rather than real outcomes, mm-hmm. and uh, and I really like what you say that uh, you know diversity is everyone's uh, accountability. You know the mm-hmm. the fact is that there is a diversity manager. They are facilitators, but they are not the owners of that uh, whole strategy, isn't it?
2: Exactly. I mean, I there's uh, I have one very forward thinking client who. Um, published their diversity statistics along a variety of dimensions, and, you know, many other companies looked at them and <laughs> said, what are you doing? Your diversity statistics are really pretty terrible, and why yes. would you put that out into the world? It might, you know, prevent you from recruiting. um but what the CEO said is this really evens the playing field. You know, now we've put it out there. It's everyone's problem. It's all of our jobs to solve. And, you know, it's pretty bold for them to take that action. But it, it made it a corporate problem, not a, anything that any small group was dealing with. You know, it was mm. just something that was everybody's um, responsibility.
1: I think uh, showing the numbers is very important, uh, and I think Australia is uh, is is really good when it comes to uh, uh, really showing the numbers because we we have a equality agency which is formed by the government where every company that has more than hundred employees actually have obligation to submit the reports. On how many, uh, you know, uh, people with a diverse backgrounds, non-English backgrounds, aborigines, and so on and so on, because you know you can't hide behind the numbers.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, and I think that's that's very important because when you see the numbers, they show the stories. And if you actually know what the numbers are, then you can focus. Where do you want to change that?
2: Yeah, but if you don't have the a- numbers, yes. It turns it so, into a fact-based uh, kind of a, fa- you know, who, who can argue with the fact that this isn't fair. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, exactly right. you know, it's, if, if women are 50% of the population, why are they not 50% of the leadership? Who can argue with the fact that for yes. it to be so different that, mm. you know, that that's fair? Um, and so it definitely changes the dialogue.
1: Focused on, on the similar, um, I guess, topic is that some organizations focus on, on just one or few diversity priorities, for example, increasing women in, in leadership positions. And in doing so, they may overlook other challenges like allowing working dads to have a flexible working arrangements because diversity is for everyone, not just working mums. Mm-hmm. What's the best approach, Janine, in creating diverse and inclusive workplace of the future?
2: Yeah, I think one thing that I've seen um, some companies do is not make flexible working arrangements specific to any particular group. So, And in some cases, because there can be a stigma, you know, if you have, well, it's flexible, you know, you have time off after having a, a child or, or limited travel after having a child only for women, there tends to be a stigma. So women are seen as not being ambitious if they actually take that time. So mm-hmm. I've seen companies insist on parents, for instance, new parents taking a flexible working arrangement for a year after having a child or adopting a child. It's not optional. Mm. You know, they mm. they have limited travel. It's something that everyone does. Um, and it really just m- makes it clear that we know both people are parenting. Both people may need um flexibility, and we're going to make sure that we offer that to all employees. Um, mm-hmm. I think the, the trend that the, I think some people would credit the millennials for driving this cultural shift um, and insisting on having a more balanced life has had an impact mm-hmm. in, at least in corporate America so far. Um, where companies are are beginning to talk about we want to support the whole person we're you know a group of humans, and we want to have a very human kind of work environment mm-hmm. and a, a way that you can reach your personal goals as well as reaching your professional goals um, and so I think thinking through what are the needs of all employees of today, and how can we make sure that you know, work is not taking up a bigger share than it should. Yes, um, for all people, not just the, mm. you know challenged populations or women. Yes, and
1: um, you know you you've talked about the lifestyle consideration. I uh, I, I what I'm aware that a sanctuary, Uh, certainly here in Australia has done a lot of work um, as well as Deloitte and some other consulting companies to ensure there is that actually life balance and uh, they're actually retaining people uh, on uh, both sides because of the flexibility uh, arrangements that they're offering. Um, Do you find that uh, women are willing to change jobs as frequently men? We touched base on that um, and... uh, you know what what are the trends that that drives that just in summary again
2: yeah i think um you know women look at it differently and um don't you know they they tend to be a bit risk averse when it comes to changing environments um is sometimes for a good reason because the new environment could be more challenging for them and for them to achieve what they'd like to achieve. Um, But remember, a lot of... a lot of moving up into leadership roles often involves changing companies. So yes. getting a big salary increases tend to come with changing yes. companies or, and so or changing you, cities <laughs> or changing cities. And if you don't take advantage of those opportunities, you will move more slowly. You, you, mm-hmm. You know, so I think being able to find the courage <laughs> to engage in okay. entertaining new possibilities is really important if you'd like to move up. Um, yes. I saw a study recently that talked about how women's ambition tends to decline over time so when they first start off and as I started as a management consultant you know back in the 80s um, I uh, Janine,
1: sorry to interrupt you Janine, we're going to take a a short break now and when we come back we'll continue on this amazing topic stay with us, we'll be right back
3: boardroom to you voice america business network
0: wimmigrants of australia is a unique organization helping skilled immigrants in particular women to establish careers and integrate in a new country for individuals we offer coaching and mentoring programs for organizations we help create diverse and engaging culture offer talent placement career transitions diversity strategy and inclusive leadership development We are also available for speaking and consulting engagements. Visit wimmigrants.com.au for more information. That's wimmigrants.com.au.
4: Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global.
3: the bottom line in business.
0: You are listening to Global Workplace with Alma Besserton. To reach the show, please call into our toll-free lines in North America, 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to elma at wimmigrants.com.au. Now, back to The Global Workplace.
1: Welcome back, everyone. My guest today is uh, Janine, and we're talking about solving the disappearing women problem because women are disappearing in uh, leadership roles. And we talked about uh, a lot of um, reasons today why this is happening Janine, you you've seen so many uh, opportunities where women basically knocked back opportunities or even actually didn't answer the calls, and, and I find it really fascinating. So tell us a little bit more on what women can do to really increase their opportunities uh, in a leadership and a,
2: suite, a C-suite roles. Well, I think the first thing is answer the phone. <laughs> so <laughs> That would be a good start. Yeah, exactly. I think the, um, you know, many women don't engage in a process if they don't think they want to move. So um, sort of push those doubts aside and evaluate opportunities as they come. Um, Think in terms of, you know, how how can I navigate my career to, to get more opportunities in front of me? And you increase the volume of opportunities you see by engaging on opportunities. So when executive recruiters call you for roles, answer the phone, entertain the idea, maybe if you're not interested yourself, suggest one of your colleagues, um, that all builds momentum so that over time you you get more and more opportunities put in front of you. I think the other thing women don't um, do as much as men is they don't get out in the world and yes. uh, just engage with others and build mm. relationships outside of their their work environment that might lead to opportunities down the road.
1: I think that's so important, Janine. Certainly for women, uh, diverse women that I coach, uh, I often say to them, even if you are not interested in a role, if you are in a position five, six years, you are in your comfort zone because everyone in that organization knows you and you feel comfortable. But the way we learn and stretch is when we actually feel uncomfortable. And I say to them, even if you're not interested in moving the jobs, you should actually go at least once in a couple of months to the job interview so you practice your skills and you're back on a market because you actually don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, organizational uh, changes happen and occur in organization every six months. And, and, I, and I've seen through my career also uh, um, managing a lot of business transformations where people lose a job after 15 years or 10 years within the organization, they get lost because they haven't practiced their skills.
2: Definitely. I I think that's fantastic advice, frankly, is to to push yourself outside of your comfort zone. The other thing that women um, can do that sometimes holds them back is they don't feel comfortable talking, sort of letting their accomplishments be visible and, you know, they don't feel comfortable bragging, you know, to use that word or even, you know, talking confidently about the things that they have achieved. They tend to use the words we, the word we more than I. Um, and. You know, we all live in a collaborative world. We like to use the word we, but I think I counsel women to use I a little more (laughs) and Mm -hmm. to find Mm -hmm. ways to showcase your accomplishments in ways that you're comfortable. You know, maybe it's uh, sharing work that you've done as a learning activity for others in the organization. It still accomplishes the same purpose of, Mm -hmm. you know, getting your name more in circulation, and having others see the quality of your work. and that's just sort of one example of of ways that you can mm. you know get your reputation uh, built.
1: Do you think that's a cultural thing? Because uh, when I coach people from various cultures, I see the difference where uh, women who are very, very professional and very educated, for example, from Asia, uh, come to Australia, they, uh, they find really struggling to, to, to talk about themselves or to use I or to even actually explain or articulate what they've done because they have this fear that they're going to be seen uh, as a show-off because it's a cultural thing. And, and certainly I had that similar challenge when I came in Australia 27 years ago. I had to learn that. Whereas if it's somebody from Germany or America, they don't struggle. So do you see in your work um, there is that cultural uh, difference, you know, depends where, where the women come from and where they're raised?
2: yes i think i think it it does vary and especially kind of eastern cultures western cultures um for sure um but I think even women in western cultures still struggle and mm-hmm. and frankly, I think sometimes they don't um they can't kind of get away with taking a male approach to touting their own accomplishments. And what I mean yes. by that is they can't just go around telling everyone what a great job they did, um, because it it will rub people the wrong way. A man yes. could have said the same words, and it doesn't bother people. But if a woman puts it that way, you know, it, it's sort of a double standard. So that's what I mean by you have to find ways to showcase your accomplishments that you're comfortable with and that feel natural to you. And that also, you know, don't don't ruffle feathers of people who kind of expect you to be a certain way because that can backfire.
1: And and I think that's really important because I've certainly observed uh, women who almost try to compete with the man or, even look like a man in terms of having a suit and not use their femininity. And um, I've actually never done that because I thought this is not me comparing with men. I've got skills and I like to use my feminine side because I'm a female and I enjoy being a female. And advice that I certainly give to others is... um, you don't need to turn into a man to be recognized at the workplace, you can still be yourself and be authentic as a yeah. female and use your female energy, uh, you know, and build a credibility that way.
2: Yeah. Very true, I think it's a mistake it, it, for anyone, it's a mistake to you know not use your natural style. <laughs> I yes, mean, being uncomfortable absolutely. because you're learning is one thing, as you said outside of your comfort zone because you're it's a growth experience, but being uncomfortable because you're trying to be someone you're not is not a recipe for success for anyone. Um, no, so, you can't
1: copy anyone.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: Janine, we are nearly towards the end of the episode today. Um, thank you very, very much. Uh, I really enjoy talking about the, the, the episode today, and this is a topic that one hour is not enough. Uh, Janine will be back in the next uh, couple of weeks. We'll talk more about the how to Accelerate Career, because obviously this is a topic that is very valuable and we're both very passionate. So thank you so much, Janine, for being with us today.
2: Oh, and thank I you
1: so much. Uh, you're most welcome. And I encourage everyone to uh, really uh, read Solving the Disappearing Woman Problem, because it's a, it's a valuable source. And um, I would like just before we go to say that um, I came across Milton Berle, American comedian and actor, who said... If opportunity doesn't knock, build the door. And I think um, that's basically uh, my advice to everyone. If you don't see uh, anyone is opening the opportunity, just create your own. This is Alma Besedin, your host at The Global Workplace. Until we meet again, have a fabulous week ahead. And most importantly, stay healthy, happy and safe.
0: Thank you for making us a part of your week. Please join Alma Besserdin for another edition of the Global Workplace next Tuesday at 4 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week.